0: This week, we're concluding our look into a galaxy far, far away with Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. And the only question we have to ask is why, J.J. Abrams? Why? This is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am one of your hosts, uh, the scavenger, Chris Rupp, and I am joined by my co-host, the apathetic, Sean Culp. (laughs) I think that perfectly sums up your feelings
1: Uh, about this (laughs) Just why? It's a problem if we have to continuously ask why for all of our Star Wars reviews For
0: three different directors
1: (laughs) Uh. Oh man Well, it's here folks We're finally done with our Star Wars suite Chris and I uh, saw which producer Jeremy and partners um, The Rise of Skywalker opening night uh, and it was definitely something it was wow, it's apathy is one thing to talk about with this film. um, how about you <laughs> let's you know what before we do that? Let's break this down, give a little synopsis to for the fans spoilers alert though by the way
0: yes given that this is a recent release if you would like your experience to be spoiler free we definitely suggest pausing here go back to listen to our previous episodes on the force awakens and the last jedi Mm -hmm. or even uh give episode one the phantom menace a run but (laughs) uh definitely pause here if you want to keep your experience uh free from spoilers so the rise of skywalker is set one year after the events of the last jedi so the, the Resistance is in tatters and the Rebellion is trying to uh, be rebuilt uh, by uh, General Leia Organa. While she is Jedi training Rey, she's preparing herself for an uh, eventual fight between herself and Kylo Ren Ben Solo. However, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, is off gallivanting around the galaxy looking for old Sith artifact that will lead him to... What we find out is Emperor Palpatine, who somehow survived his uh, supposed uh, blowing up at the end of Return of the Jedi, which we find out is actually clone technology, which explains where Snoke came from and all that. So a lot of retconning there. And then it it all ends. It's all going to come together in this glorious battle
1: for for the fate of the galaxy. That's right. As the title cross says, the dead awakens or something like the dead that. speak was the, the first speak. words in the in the in that opening crawl there which like okay wow. we're going supernatural here <laughs> awesome uh man i knew there was a problem well as i stayed in the last Jedi, i wasn't excited for this film i wasn't uh pumped at all but i went and wow so what do we unpack first chris do you want to Let's start with some of the newcomers with the cast. Okay, so we got newcomers is uh, Carrie Russell, I believe she's new. Um, we had a return for Billy D. Williams, as well as Eman Ian McDermid. There you go. Yes, there we go. Then they, and then we have Richard E. Grant, the ever stoic, who uh, plays a brand new evil baddie. Think General Pride. Yes. If you're unfamiliar with Richard Grant, he was a uh,
0: evil doctor in uh, the uh, comic book film Logan a couple of years ago. He was in a great film with Melissa McCarthy last year called Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is uh, fantastic. I do recommend watching that. Um, I was surprised, though, to see a lot of the characters we had uh, that were introduced in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi I almost take a backseat this time around.
1: Yeah, he... I almost felt like every character that had fan backlash, J.J. just retconned and said, you know what, it's not about you anymore. And it almost feels like a disservice to those actors because they're in the film and we spend so much time learning about them, the two priors, to see, for example, Kelly Tran, Rose literally do nothing she as you said i think she's like an office desk ready to get yeah she
0: she pretty much rides a desk for this film and she doesn't she doesn't go on any missions with finn or poe she is very much just a foot soldier in
1: the in the rebellion now there's nothing for her to do even maz kanafa i think she was huge in the force awakens uh, a little bit in the last jedi and then this film she literally just stands there i i think she gives chewy his medal which oh my god i i Burst out laughing in the theater when I saw that. (laughs) Like, really? Come on, JJ. (laughs) It took us all these films to finally give Chewie some
0: recognition for all he's done. Man.
1: Wow. Well, tie that bow on, baby.
0: Well, before, let's break down kind of what happened leading up to the Rise of Skywalker behind the scenes. So, JJ Abrams was not the original director. For this film, Colin Trevorrow, director of Jurassic World, was set to be the director until he was fired in uh, September
1: 2017 due to, quote, creative differences. Which is a common theme if you've been following the uh, pre-production for all these Star Wars films. There's been a lot of firing, reshoots, just a lot of creative differences. We saw that big time in Solo.
0: Let's just say anytime a director is fired off of a Star Wars film, it may not bode well in the long
1: run. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I'm guessing they didn't see he didn't see eye to eye with Kathleen and Bob Iger's vision or lack thereof, vision. Well, and also uh, Carrie Fisher,
0: who plays Leah Organa, she passed away in 2016 before The Last Jedi came out, so they had to use a lot of unused footage from The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi to make sure she was
1: included in uh, in The Rise of Skywalker. Which really kind of stinks throughout this film because you it doesn't feel um, too woven into the plot. It's, it's almost like you miss her in the film and wish that her scenes could have, you know, had... Carrie Fisher and what the what could have been you know the what ifs right and it's
0: it it just goes back to this whole idea of incomplete or just underdeveloped character arcs there's so many arcs that could have gone differently like uh, Finn for example somehow in between the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker he somehow becomes force sensitive and yet it only applies to when Rey is in danger which I feel like that's just not being force sensitive. She's in danger literally every 20 minutes. Like it's it, it would be like me if I were at my day job and I just feel like Sean's bored at work. <laughs>
1: ding, 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 ding. It's like
0: I know it's going to happen. It doesn't mean I'm force sensitive.
1: Right. I thought his arc was going to be um, him and Poe were a item because I heard that was the big thing that there's a the gay kiss in this. So. And the opening scene with him and Poe and I think Chewie on their mission, where they're where now they introduced hyperspace jumping, where basically they jump into a different system, they jump into another one. You're just kind of like leapfrogging through different solar systems to get out of trouble. And the way that Poe and Finn were chatting, I was like, oh, are they flirting with each other? This is like oh, odd couple type is, stuff. Yeah. I'm like, all right, sweet. Disney made a bold move. First gay couple. It works because these Basically, these two have the only somewhat of a relationship throughout the films, you know? And then Poe, he was into Carrie Russell's bounty hunter character. I
0: think she was more of just like a a, a big tough from, uh, I think they were on Kijimi was the planet. Yeah. Which she was a a pretty cool character. I just wish we could have gotten more of her in the film.
1: (laughs) Her her armor was cool.
0: Yeah. uh, And even Poe. You would think like after the dressing down and humbling that he got in The Last Jedi, we would have seen some growth from him, like him becoming more of a leader. No, he's still the same arrogant, you know, pushy guy that we got in The Last
1: Jedi. Like, come on. Did not change at all. And at least you can say in this film, finally, J.J. addressed their backstories. Because we got a one-off about Poe, he said they found out he was a spice runner. Yeah, and that so led was, to him like you used to be a stormtrooper. Oh, you used to be a scavenger. We could do this all day. Again with the comedy that is horribly placed in this film and the series. Um, it, basically, I took that as he's Harrison Ford 2.0.
0: The best backstory we got was from Richard Grant, General Pride, when he when he's communicating with Palpatine saying, as I served you in the old wars, I'll serve you now. Like that was brilliant.
1: Brilliant. because Well, because we had three really good films set up, these characters were like, hey, someone from the original. Sweet. We know this and the emotion tied to the to those films. So we get what you've been through. Um, but yeah, he, he was a good character. Great villain, man. Uh, that that actor is stoic as heck. Yes. He embodies, he perfectly embodies everything the Empire was. And I loved him. He was one of the few highlights, at least I think.
0: And then there's this whole idea of retconning the events of The Last Jedi, which, you know, following, you know, having The Last Jedi be fresh in our minds, I have to say that I, I don't agree
1: with re- retconning all of those choices. No. it's It almost becomes a distraction, honestly throughout the film because you're like, oh, here's some another character. What are they gonna wreck on next? What are they gonna is he gonna erase this character? Well then it had the the
0: opportunity to make some bold choices with the story and they ch- chose chose not to do so i know like especially with 3po for instance when he apparently he can't repeat the words inscribed on that blade because it's sith language they had the the opportunity to make sure that it's like his memory bank stayed wiped and he was starting over fresh as a baby but they chose not to do that they decided not to have Finn and Ray become a couple, which I'd be willing to bet money that was what Finn wanted to tell
1: her, was that he loved her. Of course it was. Everyone knew that. But for some reason, Kylo and Rey being sharing a kiss is more important, even though I guess they had that little arc in the last film. But it makes more sense with Finn and Ray. you know, if him and Poe didn't work out. Well, even the interaction
0: between... Uh, Ray and Luke as a Force ghost. That could have been worded so much differently to to uh, amplify the emotional resonance from The
1: Last Jedi. Well, it's just such a letdown because he, the character, Luke, is retcon essentially. We get the Luke from kind of like the old prequel or trilogy, and as an audience member, you're just going, what the heck is going on? This guy is nothing like we've spent the past, you know, film learning about. He had this giant arc. And he passed away, and now he's completely different. And, he, and surprise, Ray's a Palpatine. <laughs> and he and Carrie Fisher knew along, and you're just going, what? What? Your brain just can't understand it. It's too much. It's it,
0: too much, and I I feel like that The Rise of Skywalker should have been the second film in the series to come out, and The Last Jedi should have been the last film.
1: It, well, yes, The Last Jedi, as you said before, it has a finality to it, and almost a... um. It's like hopeful at the end. You see the people, the kids, and everyone. The force is still alive. And it it feels melancholy, essentially, when it's over. But this film, it just ends. It ends in exactly the same way as the prequel films did. So, The
0: Revenge of the Sith ends with Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru holding baby Luke and they're looking at the twin sunset on Tatooine and the whole the Force music plays in the background in the cr- in cue credits. And this ends in exactly the same way of Rey going to Tatooine to Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru's home for some reason, which by the way, <laughs> Leia never lived there. I know. And burying their lightsabers deep in the desert, and and it ends with the same way of her staring out at the twin sunsets of Tatooine with little BB-8, and the Force music plays, and cue credits, and that's it. End of the Skywalker saga. End of the sky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and she adopts the name of Skywalker, hence the name The Rise of Skywalker. Because some late old lady just stumbles upon the ruined house. <laughs> which still looked like it had been burned by the stormtroopers 35 years later after they killed Luke's parents and uh she's like no one's been around here in such a long time who are you and ray goes i'm ray skywalker <laughs> and you're just it was a big sigh i just sighed i threw my arms up man i couldn't believe <laughs> it i'm like really Yep, this is the rise of Skywalker now.
0: There's this whole culture of fan service surrounding the Star Wars franchise. And it's just this whole, the backlash that The Last Jedi received from what has now been outed as probably the most toxic fan base amongst all of the fan bases. And they went the safe route to... Not fire anybody up. They don't want to deal with the Twitter backlash. They don't want to deal with anybody saying, like, this isn't Star Wars. But
1: they're going to. They're going to regardless because you're not going to make a film that's going to satisfy everybody. No. Art is supposed to be on eggshells. But you're supposed to be challenging people with art. If it's not controversial, it's not art. And the fact is this film is not. It's controversial in a way where all the technicalities in the filmmaking suck. Everything... You know, the script, the pacing, the direction is lousy. So as a film, people that enjoy movies go, what is going on? You know, it doesn't resonate as characters. It doesn't resonate for a regular filmmaker. This film, I think, only satisfies children and fans that love nostalgia and fan service pandering. And people who hated The Last Jedi. Yes. They're just...
0: uh, I... It's... I am not among those fans who hated the last Jedi. I watching The Rise of Skywalker, I applaud <laughs> Ryan Johnson for attempting to do somebody di- something different with the series and it is not the fans fault that they didn't get it.
1: And you know what? Or
0: it is not his <laughs> it is not his fault that they didn't get it.
1: Exactly. And you know as much crap as I talked about the last Jedi after watching this film I'm like dude, I'd rather watch the prequels The last Jedi than this again. Yeah, that's that's something. And at least in The Last Jedi, it shows uh Ryan Johnson stretched his strengths as a director and it shows how great of a director he is in developing characters, writing decent dialogue, fleshing out great emotional scenes, whereas this you don't get any. And maybe that's just JJ's shortcoming
0: as a director. This film is an emotional roller coaster, literally. You're up and down and up and down and up and down throughout the entire film. And by the end of it, you're crying because you're exhausted and you're just glad it's over you're not crying because of anything
1: seeing on screen like it's water torture I feel like I was waterboarded throughout this entire film It's so bad
0: and there was going to be a tipping point with fan service I think critics were too blind to recognize the force awakens for what it was and it, it was fan service and pandering and this was the last the the rise of Skywalker was it. Everybody is recognizing this for what it is. It's this cloying, pandering attempt to say, like, please forgive us for the last Jedi.
1: <laughs> I mean, when you bring back the Emperor, whose sole purpose in the uh, return of the Jedi was Vader throwing him down the shaft, fulfilling Vader's character arc, Luke's character arc of becoming a Jedi, you retcon that whole story, everything. you ba- They just basically shelved everything the first six films built to bring back this guy. And I don't know what fans were happy about that. Why would you be happy? Please, write in. If you're listening to this film, if you're a fan, and you, that you, tell me why you really wanted to see Palpatine again. Why, why was he so important for this film? And why, what great satisfaction of nostalgia did this character bring? Because in this film, I feel like his lines weren't that great. It just felt like a rehash of Return of the Jedi. Yes, because he
0: says almost exactly the same stuff. Where he goes, "Good, Ian McDermott,
1: man, getting that million dollar paycheck." To but, just
0: we saw it with um, a friend, uh, a friend of the show, Brian, and he said you could tell that Ian McDermott was just
1: having so much fun being Palpatine again. He, well, he is the highlight, I think, of the entire saga. If you, the prequels, I would say he's the highlight of those three. Well, films. Well,
0: there has to be some type of thread connecting all the films, and Palpatine is that. I think because he's this, he's this ephemeral presence in the the classic trilogy where he's mentioned, but we don't meet him until um, I think officially meet him
1: until Return of the Jedi. I think the thread, if if I would have had my own say in it, should have been Hayden Christensen. I think they should have brought back Anakin Skywalker and the Skywalker in and of itself, Ben Solo, that should have been the thread because the entire series is about the Skywalker. Yeah. And the fact that they didn't bring Anakin back or you just got his voice at the end um, is a big shortfall. The fact that they went the route of bringing back the Palpatine, it just causes so much conflict within the entire saga. Like I said, it just negates all the, the first... Six films. Well, it brought back all of like the every single Jedi
0: they could in that final battle. They brought back Samuel Jackson, uh Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Freddie Prince Jr. Ashoka, Aso- from- <laughs>
1: yeah, Tano from uh Clone Wars and Rebels. I mean everybody. everybody came back. Yoda was back. And and we didn't see them, which I thought they were gonna bring them back physically, but we just got the voice. And, well, a lot of those uh,
0: characters appeared in animated, in animated shows, so you can't exactly like cast them. And I think having them appear as ghosts in the final battle would have been a bit much.
1: Yeah, but I say go all in, baby. If you're going to go over the top, well, yeah, they've do already, they already
0: <laughs> they, I mean, we've already seen like two and a half hours of over the topness. What, what's 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 the difference
1: here? You know, they brought back Harrison Ford, surprise, and honestly, I think that was to me the best moment of this film that's emotionally the, that's the
0: emotional highlight of the film is seeing him with his father i mean granted he's not a force ghost i think it's more of a a memory that leia brought back for
1: him yeah it's kind of like in um i think the justice league or batman vs superman where uh, clark kent sees his dad john kent on the mountain And then he's like, I miss you, son, and all that. Oh, yeah, that's Batman versus Superman. Batman versus Superman, yeah. And that's what, it kind of reminded me of And then it's ruined by Martha! (laughs) (laughs) But the scene with Harrison Ford, who also gets to basically repeat all of his lines from his death scene in The Force Awakens, comes back, but it has good emotional weight because, once again, the only emotional connection in The Force Awakens are between those two characters. So... It's nice for the. It's a good rehash for a brief moment. You're like, I remember this.
0: That's that's a rehash. I don't (laughs) mind because it takes the dialogue from that scene on the bridge in Star Killer Base and and flips it into this emotionally heavy scene where finally uh, Kylo Ren's gonna turn from the
1: dark side back to the light, and he casts away his lightsaber, and then his dad he just goes on being a a solo, which is.
0: It, you know what that scene reminded me of? Uh, a Top Gun when uh Maverick takes Goose's dog tags and chucks them into the sea. Like, what is the
1: point of that? I know, Kyle. Well, that's the problem with the scene. And then he I goes chuckle. to
0: the and then he goes to the Sith temple and surprise, surprise, you don't have a lightsaber because
1: you're you're. A and he just, it, he takes out the Knights of Ren, who, surprise, is in this film for a grand total of three minutes. And, and have do, zero dialogue. Zero dialogue. But we finally get them. <laughs> yeah. We see them because toys. That was retcon. <laughs> retcon. Oh, my God. What else? Who else was in this? We Lando? Well, Lando was in this? We get... Uh,
0: yes, my old friend Lando <laughs> showed up. And the first thing I said to him was, Lando. You got fat. (laughs) Now, at the end of this film, will you make sure to save us by doing something that apparently we couldn't do in The Last Jedi, by getting everybody to come help us when we need them? Thank you, Lando. (laughs) Thanks again, Morgan Freeman, for stopping in. You're welcome. Again, that was Morgan Freeman as Finn, 40 years after The Rise of Skywalker. Thank you
1: oh god
0: well it wouldn't be complete without you know morgan freeman showing up thank you morgan (laughs) thank you thanks again morgan well the, the film wasn't all bad i don't want to make it seem like we're totally bagging on the film it had some decent aspects but it's like a couple of great scenes do not make a great film
1: no they don't and there's just so many setups and payoffs which are usually good in a film because you want there to be a setup and costs. But the problem is they set them up and literally pay off two seconds later. So there's really no time to savor anything.
0: Although I did I did enjoy the film score for this. I thought bringing back a lot of the themes that John Williams created in Return of the Jedi was a good choice. But I was surprised... That because in one of the trailers, they use the Duel of the Fates music from episode one. And that would have been great to maybe plug into this film at some point. And they didn't do it. Like, you, this is supposed to be the end of the Skywalker saga. Let's let's try and find a way to bring in the great themes from the prior films into this. There's a lot of, like, action. Like, it takes race theme from The Force Awakens and really kind of amps up the action, gives us that version of it. But a lot of... There's no opportunity for Williams to introduce new themes because we don't meet any new characters or any new
1: places long enough to get new themes. Yeah. And, I mean, there's really no that much lightsaber like duels at all there's just one big duel between ray and kylo which i went to the bathroom yeah you did. <laughs> <laughs> because i was like i'm not sitting through this. well it probably has something to do
0: with the three beers you had last I, night i drank 54 ounces of stella so
1: man or 60 ounces of Stella. People think
0: I drink a lot.
1: <laughs> I was like, man, if I'm going to see this movie, I better enjoy it. And, and, uh,
0: oh and I did love that they finally gave John Williams a cameo. Yes.
1: Finally. It's
0: the man's last Star Wars film. The man is a legend, mm. a living legend, a, a genius in every single sense of the word. And he finally got an on-screen cameo. That was, that was something that I applaud them for doing. It's like, finally. He's never had. He's never appeared in a film.
1: No. They also brought back uh, Wedge from uh, the old series, too. He's he, got one line, and he, they made a big deal about Dennis Lawson shooting I, scenes for
0: the film, which I don't get. So, so. I honestly thought that that was Anthony Daniels like, doing a human a cameo for a change. <laughs> me too. And then I didn't, t- it didn't occur to me that that was Wedge Antilles. <laughs> so he's just no better than a deus ex machina like Lando is at the end of the film. I didn't enjoy how they actually shot Palpatine for the uh, first couple of acts, you know, with the, the flashing
1: lights, almost in this horror way, which I, that was a great filmmaking choice. Because he's basically a husk. He's so powerless. He's hooked up to this machine with a bunch of syringes, essentially, that's keeping him alive. And he's this frail, blind old man. Because uh, he's into the hundreds, but you know it—it it is very horror esque the film, and which I think that I do agree. It is very dark, so it is hard to see. So you only see him in flashes. But, um, stylistically speaking, it's great—great great cinematography work as always with J.J.
0: Yeah, the film is technically great. There's a, the the special effects are incredible as they have been with the the previous two films in the sequel series. The cinematography is great. I enjoyed the editing. I just felt the pacing could have been a lot better because it what say what you will about The Last Jedi. But that felt like a very well, it took its time. It took its time in a very thoughtful and emotional way. Whereas this one is just all right, let's let's go from one action scene to the next. And I will say like especially the the scene where they're breaking into the Star Destroyer to rescue Chewie. I love how the camera keeps moving in that scene. That's that's something every action scene should do, is keep the camera and your, your participants constantly moving. There should always be some element that's always moving in an action scene, whether it's the camera or your
1: characters. Oh,
0: so then you like the uh, shaky cam?
1: The quick cuts.
0: And, I don't uh, think it was shaky cam because if you, it, when Finn and Poe are running down the hallway, the camera is on the floor and it's it's following them as they're shooting stormtroopers oh, back and cool. forth.
1: I, th- I, th- I thought I thought that was a brilliant shot. I think that was when I had too much beer. So I don't remember that at all. <laughs> but I will. Uh, okay. Sweet. <laughs> I do say though, the difference though between the two films is. I think because The Last Jedi, there's there's like eight locations that they go on. So it's not so much of jumping back to a different place. Whereas with this film, they're like on 27, 30 different locations that they're powering through. So that's why it is, it feels so force-fed. Yeah, literally force-fed.
0: <laughs> well, it's, uh, we get the jungle location where the Rebellion's hiding out. We get Exegol, the, the Sith planet, uh, Kajimi. And even all the the locations
1: where Finn and Poe are uh light speed skipping. Yep, yep, on the ships just popping around, man. It's it's so much uh to take in so fast. It's hard to know where you are in the film yes. when you're only there for 10 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Did you uh for this film, did you have any did you like anything else?
0: There wasn't a whole lot I could say I particularly enjoyed. Uh, I'll save any sort of final critiques for my rating, though. Okay. What did you have for a lens
1: flare, Sean? Lens flare, oh, man, that's tough. Oh, you so had a lot. I did have a lot. If if you had to pick one, though. I would say um, the prob- – oh, man, that's so tough. The pacing is probably what got me – Because, like we stated, it's just so fast. There's just no time to savor. Now You know what? I change it. Retcon. The retcon was just too much for me because you felt like during the film, it's just what else are they going to take away? What else are they going to take away? And in the retcon, they satisfied it with the fan service and it just became so bamboozling and distracting that it deterred from any sort of originality of the film because you're just trying to get into it but every decision they made it just felt like was to service the fans so it just got so distracting how about you
0: there's a point in the film where the the knights of ren have caught up to our heroes um on panasa is the planet and you know ray is gonna face down kylo ren as he's you know on them in a tie fighter and chewy wanders off and he gets captured and, you know, as Ray is struggling to save Chewie, we think that he's initially killed and then turns out he's not dead and he's just being held captive on another Star Destroyer. By the end of the film, you forget that that whole thing happened. You forget Chewie was ever captured at any point. He gets his medal and then that's it. Like, if there is an aspect or a a plot point in the film that didn't have to exist, it's Chewie being captured for absolutely no reason because he gets saved 20 minutes later.
1: Yes. You kind of... But that was a moment, once again, like we've said, where Disney had the chance to make a bold statement, and instead of doing that and killing off Chewie, they didn't go for it. Now, I was salty when they killed him because I'm like, good God... I get it. You're trying they to kill everyone's of, favorite walking dog. Just, just, just do it. Just kill everyone from the original series. We get it. You're trying to make us love these characters, but then they saved him, and that's just kind of annoying too. Because I'm like, what's the point? What? Why? Why? Why are you making us feel things and then going, gotcha? Just the, for what? It didn't make sense.
0: No. Well, uh, so speak- I
1: totally understand. I agree with you, man. Speaking of dead or not dead. Who'd you have for a red shirt? Oh, you know who I had a red shirt? General Hux. So General Hux in this film opens with, and here's like another thing in the first 10 minutes. They say there's a mole in the new order and it's General Hux and he finds out and they find out because uh, the people are captured and then Hux shoots all the stormtroopers and saves our heroes and then uh, they ask him why and they're like, oh, he's like, I'm the mole. And then he gets shot and killed, and that's it. Yeah, That's his whole character. Well, it,
0: he has a weird cryptic line, like, I don't, I don't care if you win, I just want Kylo Ren to lose. Like, Then that means they win. Like, like what? Do, do you hate him so much that you just like want him gone? It's just... And, and he, he gets relegated to punching bag duty again this time around. At least
1: they didn't bring Captain Phasma
0: back. No, she was dead. She was dead, which... Well, again, if they brought her back, we would have gotten only a 20-second fight between her and Finn, which would have ended
1: disappointingly. Exactly. So thank you, J.J., for not doing that. But yeah, General Hux, it's just just another waste, because you have this character that's set up, fleshed out, and The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, in the end he's killed doesn't really do anything except is the mole.
0: Yeah, and if they were just going to do that with him, I really felt like they should have killed the character off at the end of the Force Awakens. Yes. Cuz in the last Jedi he's punching bag duty again. Mm-hmm. And then in this one is no
1: exception. Yeah. It's I just feel bad. For, well, I hope they got paid. <laughs> How about you, Chris? Oh, y- we- oh,
0: yeah you You can bet that they got paid. I mean, even Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford probably got the Marlon Brando Superman treatment. It was like, fine, I'll do it, but I'm not going to memorize any lines,
1: and I want ten million dollars. <laughs> Actually, they did, and I read this. JJ let them improvise in their scenes, so there That's was not much surprising. more improvise. Yeah, because the first two movies, the actors weren't allowed to improvise, but this one, he let them. So there, take that for what you will. But yeah, Harrison Ford isn't even credited in it yet either. So he definitely got the Marlon Brando treatment. Yeah,
0: <laughs> my uh my red shirt would have to be uh, Snap the pilot, played by actor Greg Uh Gunberg, who's in every at of J.J. Abrams' films. You can find him in just about every in every single one at some point. And he wasn't in the Last Jedi for some reason. He wasn't cast because I guess Ryan Johnson wanted to cast one of his buddies in it. And in the final battle, he's killed.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah,
0: that guy who was just like, can you say something optimistic about to to General Organa? So by then, like, you don't care that Snap is getting killed. He's just he's just there. His death serves a purpose as showing Poe like, hey. My buddy's dead. And I like uh, Greg Gunberg. He's in a lot of things
1: that I like, and then he was just killed off unceremoniously. It's like Game of Thrones, baby. That's what this new series is like, Game of Thrones. (laughs) All these characters, nothing sacred, no one's safe. Uh, Well,
0: unlike Game of Thrones, Star Wars
1: has a potential future. Yes, it does, apparently. They're going to... Well, they do have this booming TV series on Disney Plus called The Mandalorian, which has been getting rave reviews from everyone. I mean, it's an internet meme sensation with uh, Baby Yoda. Yes. Now, I personally have not seen this. Um, I'm going to maybe watch it once it's all done. I don't know yet. I'm kind of burned out of Star Wars, so <laughs> I don't know. But I might. But you've seen it, correct?
0: I have seen it. Uh, at the time we're recording, there's one episode left in this season, so... in. And- I have to say, it's it's incredibly original, inventive. It's just the right amount of dark that we've needed in a Star Wars film or S- Star Wars entertainment thing for a long time. And I think what's hurting The Rise of Skywalker right now is people don't have to go far for great Star Wars material. Like, you've got Solo out right now, which is entertaining despite its faults, quote-unquote. I can't find a overall fault with the film. Um... And the Mandalorian, which is fantastic. It's such a fun ride to watch. It, if you love westerns and if you love Star Wars, this is like the this is the
1: perfect you know peas and carrots mashup for you. It's a penultimate, and and I think we have a Obi Wan Kenobi series coming in. Yeah, with Ewan, Ewan McGregor.
0: Ewan McGregor is confirmed to be uh, is cast in a Obi Wan series. It's currently in development. We probably won't see that for. Another couple of years, because there's a lot of Disney Plus slated shows that are set to come out for the Marvel universe. So I think once those are kind of done with their first season, then we'll see the Obi Wan series come out. Also, uh, Cassie Andor, the uh, rebel officer from uh, Rogue One, is set to get his own series. I guess like espionage style. We'll see how that works. So there's a lot that's in the future for Star Wars. And they also, Kathleen Kennedy also recently announced that they're
1: abandoning the trilogy format, which (laughs) I'm cool with that. Thank God. I think they're, well, they're bringing on Kevin Feige. So they're probably going to take it, try to take a page out of the uh, Marvel handbook, which, I mean, sell toys, man. I'm, she, I I just know (laughs) Kevin Feige is going to walk into that writer's room with all their
0: ideas, grab an eraser, and say, none of these ideas work. You guys messed it up. Like, this is what we're going to do. Because they're not abandoning the characters. The the characters we saw in this
1: sequel trilogy could still get their own series of films. Oh, God. <laughs> About nothing. So, well, that's just it. He's probably walking into the writer's room and there's a blank board. So he's going to take a marker and start writing things down. I want to see <laughs> a could-
0: Finn and Poe cohabitating <laughs> series where it's like a Burton Ernie relationship <laughs> that would
1: be fun that would be amazing uh it's it's hopefully I think um, in the future it'll look it's a brighter future for Star Wars uh, it just depends I think on what you're looking for as I've said a lot I think these films are for kids now you know it's more about selling making a profit toys and I don't know with that being said do you want to jump into our uh, rating? Absolutely.
0: So on our unique scale for the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast, we uh, amend it a little bit for shows that are in theaters. So we retain our wouldn't watch, would watch, would own rating, and we substitute in would see again in theaters. So, John, with all of that in mind, what we just discussed for Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, what do you rate it?
1: Um. So if you really um, enjoy big action Marvel-esque films, I think you'll like this film. As like Your kids are probably going to love it because there's a lot of lights and lasers and colors and uh, it's comedic moments. So for people that really aren't into filmmaking, filmmaking as an art, they probably won't watch it, but bring your kids. Um, if you're a heavy-handed nostalgia fanboy, watch it because you're probably going to enjoy it. But if you're someone that really enjoys... The technicalities of filmmaking, pacing, editing, sound, all of that, then I would say just pass it up because you're just going to be upset, especially if you like Star Wars, um, the soul and the religious elements, storytelling, character development, because it's just not worth it. You're The whole time, you're just on a roller coaster jumping through hoops and there's no break, no end in sight. Everything is just so force fed. It feels like fast food. And I mean, to me because of that because that's what I like in a film. I like a deeper sense of meaning when I watch things. I want to take away from moments and like ponder the themes, which I don't know what the themes in this film are. I don't. I don't think it has any. So for that being said, I personally would never want to see this film again. I'm good. Um, this, you know, I didn't want to see it upon watching it. And I never want to see it again. I did not care in the theaters. It's for children. And I think this is just the epitome of what Martin Scorsese said by Marvel films aren't cinema. This is not cinema. This is amusement park rides. So that's my opinion. How about you, Chris? You know, I
0: was hoping for more emotional resonance in the film. But because The Rise of Skywalker is so up and down emotional-wise, we're not left with any time to sort of sit and sue with what happened. It's it's very cloying it's pandering it's it's the film version of somebody crawling on their knees and begging for forgiveness (laughs) which there's no there's nothing to forgive considering what the last jedi tried to do with the series um there are several scenes in the film that are great but as we said earlier several great scenes do not make a great movie Uh, there are there are aspects of the film that are certainly good in their respective rights However, it, it is not enough to totally save the Skywalker saga. And because we really don't have to go far right now to watch good Star Wars stories, I would have to call The Rise of Skywalker a would-not-watch. I, I am totally not going to be dismissive of the film, given that it is a Star Wars story, and it, Star Wars is very near and dear to my heart. I would watch this film if I were doing a marathon of the whole series just for that finality, but right now given the the current, you know, the status of fan service and pandering, it's just too much for me. And I think people have finally caught on to this idea that of the tipping point of fan service, whereas the Marvel films don't do that. It took us 22 films to get the big moment where all the Avengers and comic book heroes are together, the face-down Thanos. Star Wars is trying to jump the shark and get to that real quick. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I I stand by my would-not-watch
1: rating. Fair. And I mean, with Marvel, it's lucky because it has those comics. So you can do fan service, but there's that history where... You can
0: do it in a way that's not cloying.
1: Yeah, well, there's... Star Wars is so limited as a universe. There's only nine, well, 11 films now, and we've seen them. Most of us have seen them. Whereas Marvel, not the majority of the watchers of Marvel they haven't read the comics. So if they give fan service to the comic book readers, it's okay because the critics probably don't know what the heck that is, and it's only going to be certain fans that know it. So it's fine. And when they do build up for that big endgame scene where they reference other movies it's okay because we've had like you said that slew in the 10 years but this film is just there's only it's a small sample size you only have 11 and you said none of it's canon when it came out so it sucks that's <laughs> 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 hard to say but let's hope on high hope i hope kevin feige um charts out a new course and um, is able to make a different version of star wars something new mm-hmm. you know we'll see so
0: I think that's gonna wrap it up on the uh, the Star Wars sequel suite. So we're we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. And with that said, we have to consult Major Samantha.
1: Oh God, I've missed you, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Where have you been in my life? <laughs>
0: so from our list of 118 films, Major Samantha, our random number generator AI has selected
1: <laughs> do, do, do.
0: number 46. This is a 1987 film directed by Paul Verhoeven. It is RoboCop. RoboCop. Ooh, I'm stoked. Yeah, I'm stoked as well. Uh, Also, we will be taking next week off from releasing an episode uh, to spend time with our friends and family during the holiday season. Uh, And all of us here, myself, Sean, Jeremy, we hope you all have a safe and wonderful holidays with your friends and family, and hopefully you're having a good time celebrating wherever you are. So and if you enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Force Fed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Force-Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.